This is a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. Go to allthews.3cr.org.au. You're listening to Out of the Blue on 3CR Community Radio and I'm James Whitmore. I acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land where this show is being broadcast from, the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nations, and pay my respects to Elders past and present. This week, the UN Secretary-General warned that the era of global boiling has arrived, as July looks like the hottest month ever recorded, and heat waves and wildfires scorch large parts of the Northern Hemisphere. Underwater, the oceans might not be boiling, but they are certainly very, very warm. And we're going to have a chat to an oceanographer to find out what's going on today. We'll be right back after this. Hiroshima Day Rally for Peace and Against Nuclear Submarines, AUKUS and War. Nationwide commemorations and events will be held on the 78th anniversary of the US dropping nuclear bombs on the Japanese cities of Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Join millions of people across the world in sending a powerful message, never again. On Sunday 6th of August at 1pm at the State Library of Victoria. For more information, you can visit the Facebook page No AUKUS Coalition Vic, a 3CR supporter. You're listening to Out of the Blue on 3CR Community Radio. Something strange is happening in the world's oceans this year. Just this week, the North Atlantic Ocean and the Mediterranean Sea saw their hottest temperatures ever recorded and weeks earlier than the normal annual peak in temperatures. Meanwhile, down in the far south, Antarctic sea ice is at its lowest level ever for this time of year, when it should be at its maximum extent. Human-caused climate change is clearly part of the story here, but to help get our heads around these truly extreme phenomena, I spoke to Edward Doddridge, an oceanographer at the Institute for Marine and Antarctic Studies at the University of Tasmania. Hi, Edward. So things are a bit crazy in the oceans right now. We've got heat waves in the North Atlantic, record low sea ice in, in Antarctica, El Nino building, the Mediterranean seas just hit a record. I'm reminded of that saying two times as coincidence, three times as enemy action. This isn't a very scientific term, but how freaky is what's happening? Oh, freaky? I I don't know. I mean, on one hand, this isn't surprising at all, right? This is just climate change coming through. The world is getting warmer, and so it's getting warmer everywhere. But that doesn't really take into account how much is happening and how far outside what we have previously observed these events are um you know we've got marine heat waves in the mediterranean like you said we've got one in the northwest atlantic there's one off australia antarctic sea ice is behaving completely differently to how we have ever seen it behave before and all of these things are happening at the same time it's it is an exciting and scary time to be a climate scientist are you surprised by all of this that's happening right now? I'm surprised by the magnitude of everything happening all at once. Mm. I'm not surprised by any individual event, except perhaps the sea ice, because that is bonkers. Um, But the others, you know, they're they're the sorts of things that we have known will happen for quite a while now. It can be hard to make sense of all these data. Um, One measure is global sea surface temperature, which earlier this year seemed to be heading off the charts. What's happening with global temperature? 
sea, global sea temperature now? Uh, it's it's high. It's just really high. So one way I like of trying to understand this is you look at a map of the sea surface temperature anomaly. So that's how much warmer it is today compared to what we would expect for this day of the year. And normally when you look at a map like that, it's got big patches of cool and big patches of warm because the weather of the ocean and the weather in the atmosphere has kind of moved that heat backwards and forwards and it sloshes around. So some bits are hot, some bits are cold. And that's kind of the way it's been for a long time. But if you look at it now, it's basically just red. It's just heating almost everywhere. There are particular spots that really stand out. So near Japan really stands out. There's a, a huge warm anomaly there. The Northwest Atlantic around Canada and the Northeast US, that is extremely hot. Uh, closer to the coast in Florida is just wild. Um, but everywhere across basically all the ocean in the world, it's hot. There are a couple of big blue blobs, kind of one in the Northeastern Pacific is a little bit colder than usual and a spot in the Southeast Pacific, but they are so much smaller and so much weaker than the, the warm anomalies. Basically, global sea surface temperatures are still really high. So clearly there's, you know, a global climate change effect going on here, but do we have any idea about, you know, the mechanism behind some of these things? Like we also know that um, El Nino is emerging in the Pacific Ocean. You know, are there regional causes for some of these things that we're seeing? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so ocean surface temperature heat or temperature, the, the temperature at the surface of the ocean doesn't tell us about what's going on underneath the ocean. And so there are a couple of ways that you can get that surface temperature hotter than normal. One is that you, you bring water from the equator towards the poles. And so as it moves either north or south, it moves into a region that is generally colder. And if it brings its heat with it, then it's hotter than normal and that's a marine heat wave. Or you can have um, a high pressure weather system stay in a place for a long time and you get the sun shining down on the surface of the ocean, you get lighter winds. So it doesn't mix that heat right at the surface of the ocean down into the colder water below. And that can make the surface really hot. Because these events are unfolding at the moment, we don't have the scientific results to tell us what is causing each one of them. Uh, I mean, the underlying cause of them is almost certainly climate change. You know, it's, it's pushing those temperatures higher everywhere all the time. But the individual hotspots, there will be specific atmospheric and oceanic processes that are causing them to be so much hotter than normal right now. And that could be that it's not as windy as normal, so there's less mixing. It could be that the ocean currents have shifted a little bit and it's moving hotter water into a place where it hasn't previously been. It could be that it's sunnier than normal. Um, there are a whole host of things that will have to be disentangled by careful research. And in probably a year or maybe two, we'll have some really good results about the specific causes of each of these marine heat waves, but we don't have that info yet. So this just adds to the urgency of doing something about climate change and reducing emissions. But how fast should we be doing it? Is net zero by 2050 enough? I mean, this stuff is happening with the emissions that we've already produced. Yeah, absolutely. My answer to this question is always, we should do everything we can as fast as we can, because that's what we need to do. You know, it's all very well to set a, a net zero by 2050 target, 
if that's what motivates us to work as hard as we can to reduce our emissions as fast as we can across every sector, because that's what we need to do. It's really hard to get the balance right between this kind of almost apocalyptic prophesizing that comes out of climate science, right? We, we run projections and we say, if we keep following this path we're on, it's going to be four degrees warmer on average around the world. And that's really hard to turn into a, what does that feel like to me? But what we're seeing right now is what, you know, we're not even at one and a half degrees of average global warming yet. And yet we're seeing these heat waves across North America, across Europe, across Asia. We're seeing huge wildfires, basically every continent in the Northern Hemisphere. We're seeing Antarctic sea ice is so far below its average that we've essentially run out of statistical ways to describe that in a sensible manner in a sensible manner. And we're not at one and a half degrees, right? The prospect of a four degree world scares me. So how fast should we act? As fast as we can. This week, we also saw some research about the collapse of the AMOC, the Atlantic Meridional Overturning Circulation, which was made famous in the film The Day After Tomorrow, of course. I've seen headlines saying that the Gulf Stream could collapse by 2025. What's your reading on this research? Uh, so this is... This is a really tricky thing to communicate. So the Gulf Stream and the AMOC, the Atlantic Meridional Overturning Circulation, they're really closely related, but they are different ocean currents. Um, the Gulf Stream is essentially a wind-driven current on the surface of the ocean. And that is going to keep going. It's keep, going to keep going round and round in the North Atlantic for as long as the sun hits the earth and the earth keeps rotating and there's an Atlantic Ocean to contain it. It's not going to collapse or crash or stop in 2025 or 2525. You know, if I will buy anyone a beer if the Gulf Stream has stopped by 2525, I may not be around to collect on that bet, but we can be very confident that the Gulf Stream isn't going to collapse like that. But this paper that just came out about the Atlantic Meridional Overturning Circulation, which is the large scale drift of warm water on the surface of the Atlantic northwards up towards the Arctic, where it gets colder, it gets saltier and denser, and then sinks down into the bottom of the ocean and flows southward again. This paper that's just come out suggests that that circulation may collapse this century. Now that's that's at odds with the most recent IPCC reports, the Intergovernmental Panel for Climate Change in their sixth assessment report that came out a few years ago, said that they were fairly confident, I think medium confidence was the, the specific technical phrase they used, that the Gulf strength, even there I did it, that the AMOC would not collapse this century, but they are quite confident that it will weaken this century. Now, this new paper, wasn't an ocean dynamics paper. They didn't run ocean models to try and assess it. They did some really fancy statistics using a data product of sea surface temperature. So the temperature at the very top of the ocean. And using this statistics, they came up with a couple of early warning signals that indicate a regime shift from the AMOC being on to the AMOC being off. And basically they fit some great statistical models, and then they extrapolated out and came up with an estimate that the AMOC was going to collapse sometime between 2025 
2095, with their best effort being kind of around 2050, plus or minus a decade or two. So that is really exciting, interesting research, but it is a novel statistical technique that hasn't been sort of thoroughly vetted by the community yet. It's been through peer review. So a couple of people thought that it was scientifically sound enough to go into the community at large. That's great. Um, but because it's slightly at odds with these IPCC reports, it just needs to be treated with a little note of caution. You know, this is an exciting new result. We haven't had time to digest it properly. There are going to be lots of studies trying to replicate this or to think about weaknesses or strengths in the methodology. Um, yeah, I take it as interesting recommendation and an interesting result and slightly provocative. Um, certainly the headlines about the Gulf Stream collapsing by 2025 are just, they're not good journalism. Let's, they're headlines. let's say that and move on. I'm chatting with Edward Doddridge about the climate extremes happening all over the world's oceans. After the break, we're going to hear about what's happening with Antarctic sea ice. But first, this is Denny with Could Be. You're listening to Out of the Blue on 3CR Community Radio.
I'm Philippe Cousteau from Earth Echo International, and you're listening to Out of the Blue, 855 AM, 3CR's Marine and Ocean News Program. That was Denny by, that was could be by Denny, and you're listening to Out of the Blue on 3CR. I'm talking to oceanographer Edward Doddridge about the climate extremes happening at the oceans at the moment. Let's talk about Antarctic sea ice, which is at its lowest level ever for this time of year. You spoke to the ABC and described it as a one in 7.5 million year event. Uh, My brain can't really compute that. Can you explain what you mean when you say that? Yeah. So this is, this really shows the limits of how we try and talk about these extreme events. So framing it like that was a choice to try and use language that people are familiar with. You know, we're, we're used to hearing about one in a hundred year floods or one in a thousand year droughts, things like that. So if you look at how much sea ice there has been in, in Antarctica on, you know, yesterday or a particular day during July, um, in the 40 years that we've been able to measure it accurately from space, you get a distribution. Some years it was a bit higher, some years it was a bit lower. And then if you assume that that distribution follows a particular shape, a bell curve, then what you can do is you can calculate the odds of seeing um, an amount of ice either bigger or smaller than a particular value. And so if you use a baseline period from 1980 to 2010, so you take those 30 years and you say that is representative of how the ice around Antarctica behaves, then we would expect to see a winter like the one we have just seen approximately once in every seven and a half million years. Now, what that really means is that 1980 to 2010 is not representative of this year, that something has changed fundamentally about Antarctic sea ice. And what we are seeing this year is completely different to previous years. And you can see that really clearly if you look at a graph of Antarctic sea ice anomalies. So how much ice there is either more or less than normal than the average. And what you see is that this year, it has just gone completely below where any other year has ever gone before. At the moment, it's about 2.4 million square kilometers below average. The previous record for this time of year was about a million square kilometers below average. Right? It's not just a new record. It's two and a half times the size of the previous record. Um, so yeah, framing it in that sort of one in seven and a half million years was a, a way to try and communicate how extreme this was. Um, but it doesn't mean that in the last seven and a half million years, this is the only time it's ever happened because we know that the climate of the earth changes on those really long time scales. Essentially, it's a a convenient way of trying to say that Antarctic sea ice is changing and we don't understand how quickly it's changing or where it's going to end up. Mm. I remember, you know, not that long ago when there were some, you know, increasing sea ice trends in Antarctica, but then in the past couple of years, it's really been on a a downward trend, hasn't it? Do we know anything about what's driving that trend? Yeah, Antarctic sea ice is really complicated. So it exists at the at the center of what we call the the ocean climate, ocean atmosphere coupled climate system, right? The, 
the sea ice is on top of the ocean and the bottom of the atmosphere. So it's affected by both of them. We think, and there are some good results to support this, we think that the extension, the increase in the amount of sea ice up until about 2014 was a combination of some changes in the winds and extra water flowing off Antarctica because the ice sheet was melting faster. And that fresh water, it sat at the top of the ocean and it helped insulate the surface of the ocean from the warmer waters below. And that meant that the ice could freeze a little bit more quickly and we got a little bit greater extent, a little bit more area covered by the sea ice. Then in 2016, the sea ice plummeted. There was a lot of research trying to understand what happened. There are quite a few papers saying you've got this particular weather event in the atmosphere and these winds over this part of Antarctica and links them all together. And to an extent, yeah, absolutely. The sea ice has to be consistent with what the winds in the atmosphere are doing. But that's not a full answer, right? Just saying we had these things happen and then the ice responded doesn't tell us why it went from record highs to record lows and has then stayed low ever since. Why is it doing that? We don't know completely yet. What we do know is that the ocean around Antarctica has been warming and that that warming is caused by human emissions of greenhouse gases. That is a really well-supported result from the science. It's not a big leap to say that a warmer ocean is going to lead to less sea ice, but we haven't yet done that leap in a scientifically robust enough way to be able to come out on the radio and say, it's the warmer ocean causing there to be less sea ice. I think it's a really clear hypothesis and certainly the, the community is gonna be looking into that, but we don't know for certain yet. So with the record low Antarctic sea ice, a lot of marine life depends on that sea ice. What are some of the impacts that, you know, that? is having on the Southern Ocean ecosystems? Well, in terms of what it, the impacts that it's having right now, we don't know because it's really hard to observe, but we have some really good guesses, some really clear hypotheses about what it is going to do. Now, one thing that we know for certain is that krill, which are the absolute staple food source for almost everything that lives in the Southern Ocean around Antarctica, they come up and they feed on the algae that grows on the bottom of the sea ice during the winter. And that's a crucial food source for them. We think that without that, they can't survive. They can't make it through the winter. So less sea ice, less food for krill, less krill. What happens to all the things that come to Antarctica to eat the krill? It's a bad, it's a big question. Maybe they can adapt. Maybe they'll survive. We don't know. That's one of the, the terrifying things going forwards. But sea ice is also crucial for a whole range of other reasons to different species. Some penguins go and breed on the sea ice. So the emperor penguins, they form their giant huddle and incubate their eggs on the ice that is stuck right next to the coast. And that type of ice has also been decreasing alarmingly in the last couple of years. Can emperor penguins breed either on the shore or on different types of ice? We don't know. We've never seen them do it. Maybe they can adapt. I really hope they can because otherwise they're in a lot of trouble coming, you know, going forwards. Um, but other species 
some types of seal, like the crab eater seal, they come and they give birth to their pups up on the sea ice. And they do that to get away from predators. And so if the ice that they're on melts or isn't stable enough or strong enough or big enough for them to come and give birth to their pups, where else are they going to go? We don't know. We've never seen a world in which they had to look for an alternative option. Now, it's almost certain that some of these species will be able to adapt, but we don't know which ones and we don't know how easily. It's, it's a huge worry for Antarctic ecosystems moving forwards. Mm. And this is part of your area of research, I understand. I mean, jumping on this call, your profile, profile picture was you on a fairly cold looking boat. Um, can you tell us a bit about your research and how you do it? Yeah, absolutely. So my official research title, my field, is physical oceanographer. And essentially that means that I look at the fluid dynamics of the ocean. I try and understand how ocean currents move around the world, how they transport heat and salt, and how they interact with the winds, the sea floor, the sea ice, uh, the ice shelves around Antarctica. And basically, what is the ocean's role in the climate system? Now, my particular sort of specialization within physical oceanography is around theory and numerical modeling. So I use supercomputers to run giant, complicated fluid dynamics models of the ocean. And then basically, I get a great big metaphorical hammer and I whack them. And I try and understand what happens if I change this about the system? What happens if I change the wind? What happens if I change the shape of the seafloor? How does the ocean current respond to that? And what does that teach us about what the ocean is doing now and what it might do in the future? Sometimes people describe climate change as this huge experiment we're conducting on the earth, which is terrifying, but it also strikes me that we're also learning for the first time really how the planet works. I mean, if it were better circumstances, that would be quite exciting and cool. Yeah, this is a... A real challenge of climate science, right? It is intellectually fascinating. And we have front row seats to this giant experiment that humanity is running on the planet. We're not using a metaphorical hammer. We're using greenhouse gas emissions and we are thumping the planet pretty hard. So we get to see how it responds. Um, yeah, it's, it's intellectually fascinating and terrifying at the same time. That was Edward Doddridge from the Institute of Marine and Antarctic Studies at the University of Tasmania, and as he describes fascinating and scary things happening in the oceans. I know hearing about these things can be quite distressing, but one thing that can help with that is getting involved in climate action, whether it's looking at your own climate footprint or getting involved in environmental organisations. Maybe you could get involved in the campaign to stop seismic blasting for gas exploration in Bass Strait that's being led by Friends of the Earth, the Otway Climate Emergency Action Network, and the Southern Ocean Protection Environment Embassy. There are so many amazing people doing amazing things to deal with the climate emergency. And that's all for this week. If you want to listen to this show again or any of our previous episodes, head to www.3cr.org.au forward slash radio blue. We'll be with you again next week. And in the meantime, stay well. <laughs>